0: Hello, and welcome to our financial services podcast series, Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and together with my co-host, Brian Hayes, we've both worked for over 30 years in banking and banking IT. This is a podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. The purpose of our podcast is to explore some topics and questions, which we didn't even know were questions when we were working on the other side. Today, we're joined by two special guests. Um, we have uh, Guru and Spencer. So, uh, in turn, we'll ask you to introduce yourself. Thank you, Matthew.
1: My name is uh, Guru Venkatachalam, um, based in Singapore. And the current role is CTO for APJ. And I've been in Asia Pacific throughout my career. Uh, lived in Hong Kong for uh, nine years and now followed by another 19 years or so in Singapore, mainly being uh, a technologist and uh, specifically in the banking industry i worked for a British bank and a French bank, and then last 20 years or so in Citibank, and then just joined VMware last year.
2: Super, thank you, welcome. Uh, Spencer? So yeah, Spencer Pitts. I'm the chief technologist for, well, we used to call it end user computing, but I, I refer to it more now as the digital workspace. And um, yeah, I've got a long history in banking, I used to work in Bank of New York, previously in my career, and part of Lloyds Bank. When we were talking last time, Spencer, we had no
0: visibility that that you know what was about to happen. Do you want to talk us through a bit about from you know from your perspective, from a end user compute perspective, and um, you know what, what you've seen and and kind of how things have changed from last time we talked?
2: Yeah. So um, specifically on banking, I think the first thing that I saw was in the early days, when we all went into lockdown, there was this realization and sudden rush. Um, I called it the respond phase and i think mostly for a lot of the banking organisation it was get all of those staff that we used to going into the office and i suddenly need to get them operational at home for a lot of organisations and banking specifically a lot of it has been let's be honest it's been operated from a from an office you know physical location type way of doing things and a lot of the architectures that we've we've had throughout those years of doing that have been again based around people come to an office and some of that's down to regulations it's down to particular processes and historical things and i would say also around the application set as well and they've been really accessible from the office you access an application predominantly inside an enterprise network and mostly in the office and of course when lockdown happened how do i suddenly get everybody that's used to doing that at home i saw a lot of banks maybe relax security in order to get things done and and that was just the case of If I don't do this, then we can't operate. There's literal certain processes that were very manual and required people to physically come into the uh, the building. So clearly that's not going to work when everybody's at home. So I saw some rapid evolution of some processes and some security type angles around how we give access to people. I saw that. I saw some things like how do we get physical machines out to people. Uh, and I know of people going to offices and taking machines underneath their arms and bringing them home. but there's a lot of people that maybe didn't have devices at home so they you know had to get the laptop shipped to them you know people were buying them from pretty much any outlet store. I know of stories where somebody bought a thousand and none of them effectively could work with their Windows 7 image because there was a particular customer that was still on that. So, you know, there was a lot of things that were done. I know people that had to um, get a cleaners, go around and turn on the machines so that they could put an agent on them. The idea there was that you could go home from a machine at home and connect into your device. And of course, the big one, which is particularly prevalent in, um, in banking is VDI. It was a custom made if we, and I remember some of the early slides that I got from 2007 when I first joined VMware that talked about business resilience and workforce continuity and the concept of what happened if there was a global pandemic, which kind of feels a bit spooky now when you when you you know look back at those slides, but how can I suddenly get all my workforce securely connecting in? Because a lot of these applications that states that the banks use, they just wasn't designed to do this. So VDI, we saw a big explosion in again, um, customers that had some of them ramped up. And I know of one particular customer in the US that went from zero VDI And not just VDI, but they had no DMZ as such. They just literally were a very, you come to the office. They didn't really allow external access like we would know it. And they uh, stood up that environment, they got something like 7,500 VDI sessions. Uh, This particular one was running on Azure, by the way, so it was Horizon on Azure. But they had VDI up and running across the weekend for 7,500, and within about, I think it was two and a half weeks, up to 37,500 people so (laughs) pretty pretty amazing stats when you think about in our careers how long you know vdi projects have taken but there's nothing like a necessity to get evolution going right so
0: spencer that's great for this this respond phase now yeah a little tongue in cheek so is 2020 the year of vdi (laughs) yeah
2: so here's the thing about vdi right so I think as we all do, and we talked about this in the previous podcast, we have this over-reliance in the industry, I think, to kind of standardise. We just have it. We, we like that. We, we like everything to be the same uniform and standardisation. We've had it drilled into us with ITIL and you know how many types of processes that we've all been indoctrinated into in our IT careers. And I think in the early days of EDI, we saw it as the thing to do everything, right? And then just like a lot of yeah, kind of um, trends in the industry eventually we know it's not gonna do everything but it's particularly suited for certain use cases and i think what we saw before lockdown was actually some of those use cases were not for vdi so there's no possible chance that it's going to be for everybody we got to this bit where we knew what the use cases were and they weren't 100 percent for everybody but banking's a particularly uh, good one here though because of the security concerns for things like call centers high-end graphics trader floor desktops is a particular one that I know a lot about as well I've done a lot with banks in the time for you know if you're that mobile person with a very dodgy connection on a train it probably wasn't for you right now obviously with lockdown what's happened of course is well most of us are at home now not everybody's got a good broadband connection (laughs) certainly when my kids go on Netflix and other type media streaming ones that are available out there right some of our um, connections are not as bandwidth performance as probably what they should be, and that could be for for other people. So, on the majority, I would say yeah, we've got better connections at home. So VDI was a great use case. We've got all these apps that were designed to work before in the office. We've got a load of people working from home suddenly, and our security architecture. And I'll get into this later on. And I'm I'm sorry, but I will talk about zero trust later. But we have a lot of people that were trying to get to that, but weren't quite ready. And VDI was a fantastic let's get everybody up and running at home secure way of getting people productive. So in that regard, I think we've seen a resurgence. And I don't think you know, we I don't think anybody would dispute that if you look at the major players in the market, we've all had particularly good kind of areas around helping customers get up and running with VDI. So I've definitely seen a resurgence. Whether that is a candidate for year of VDI again, Matthew, <laughs> I'm not sure, but you know, I, I know of a lot of people that have swelled the ranks of their V D I capacity. Whether yeah. that's cloud-based or, um, you know, their their kind of architecture on-prem, but definitely we've seen a resurgence for sure. And I've been particularly busy in that regard over the last four months. Oh, I would say
0: uh, absolutely. I, well, I've I've been with you for a few of those meetings too. So uh, <laughs> I say I say it tongue in cheek, but um, you know, if it's not this year, when on earth could it be?
3: Exactly, Guru. Can I ask a question um, of of you? Given what Spencer's said and and what we've seen in the uk and in europe what's the experience in apj and particularly for areas where large financial organizations have got you know both contact centers and software development centers in high concentration in locations like india what, what have you seen locally in in apj
1: yeah almost similar story what spencer mentioned as, as spencer was talking um i'm just kind of rewinding uh, what happened here in the region uh, it first started um, so right after the Chinese New Year holidays. Uh, so Chinese students studying in Australian universities. So they've gone back home to China, and then suddenly we got a call uh, some from some Australian university who are you know VMware clients. Hey, what does it take to provision hundred thousand uh, students on online learning in a matter of two weeks, right? Uh, and um, people immediately started falling off their chair. And then only you realize that uh, this is only the beginning. Then as the COVID started uh, impacting many other countries, um, then, so whether it's the FSI, whether it's the health and whether it's the government, etc., the similar trend continued. Specific to your question on FSI in India, uh, so State Bank of India has been a, uh, a very, very important customer for VMware. So they already have uh, tens and thousands of uh, VDI users and in in-state bank, but again, as Spencer mentioned, nobody is architected for all 100% of the users working from home. So, most many customers across FSI and APJ also started seeking help from um, from VMware and many other competing vendors. Uh, just in a, within a matter of days and few weeks, okay, we get them working from home, whatever it takes, right? So. So that's on the banking side. And all the important players like whether it's TCS and Cognizant and and, uh, HCL and others, the business processing vendors in India who provide different types of services to the banking and many other industries, including call center. uh, Again, there we got engaged in uh, uh, requirements such as that, tens and thousands of people, what does it take to provision? And uh, at that point in time, of course, physical limitation of delivering tens and thousands of desktops. Okay, what does it take to deliver, provision them on VDI, whether from their own data centers on private cloud or where possible from hybrid cloud scenarios, um, and and again, so the the trend started continuing um, across whether it's Japan, whether it's uh, you know South Korea, um, China, India, uh, across the region.
3: One of the things I read. Um... I guess very early in that process when people were initially responding to um, the situation was um, some of the big systems integrators uh, within, within India particularly, and I, and I guess this can be reflected across other, uh, other locations geographically they were talking about a three-year plan of having 50% of their workforce you know, working from home on a permanent basis. Have you seen anything like that? Because of, the reason I ask that is because the numbers are so large um, and it's so dependent upon the inherent infrastructure within that geography.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and um, so th- now after, after having crossed this phase called as response um, and once people started adapting to it, then it's a question of uh, whether it's technically possible or not. And then people started uh, focusing on Am I really delivering the right performance and is it fully secure, uh, etc.? And the third thing people started asking is Okay, um, if this may not satisfy 100% of my users, at least if it can satisfy some significant percentage, and uh, when is that real normal going to return? And then started asking questions like Do I really need to have people in the office? And yes, there are some big names uh, out there in the public, um, for example, TCS. Um, They've already gone out and said in the next three years, their forecast is 75% of people uh, will be dispersed. They'll be working remotely, whether from their home or wherever they are. And they're just going to have only 25 to 30% of office premises. Similar conversations are happening now across the uh, various industries and across the region. Um, When once they are figured out, yes, it's technically possible, uh, but from a performance and security perspective, once those final things have been figured out, then um, yeah, so this is the new normal will be that I don't need 100% of users coming back to office. For example, uh, related to the FSI industry, uh, one of the calls I had uh, is um, without naming which country, the stock exchange CIO. Stock Exchange CIO, um, for the last 20 years, he has been going to office 6 a.m. in the morning and coming back at 9.30 in the night. Uh, Like clockwork, early day procedure, and then uh, end of day procedure, etc. They have operations team, technology team, everybody having group sessions and whatnot. Yes, people do have some capability of working from home, but maybe just for reading email. And um, um, he was really paranoid on a Friday and Guru, uh, this is the first time you're going to try, all 100% of users. Uh, if something uh, is not going to work okay, then the entire country's stock exchange system will, will go down and will be the top of the news in CNBC. And of course, we had to work with them around the clock just to ensure everything goes through okay. And now, people are considering, you know what, um, especially in India, where it does take uh, uh, hour and a half or, or uh, sometimes even more for people to come to office, now they can uh, work from home, significant percentage of users working from home. Um, Yes, and in my opinion, that is definitely going to be part of the new norm. Um, I don't think the pendulum will go back exactly to where we were, uh, and it's going to be across all industry, not only
0: FSI. Yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. So look, Spencer, so so you mentioned your your three phases, and and you've talked to us about Respond. What, uh, what was your second phase?
2: Well, Guru just touched on it there. And, you know, VMware standardized on the uh, the kind of adapt phase, which is the second phase. And we, we just touched on it. That's the, uh, and before we did that, by the way, I was talking to customers and I called it three hours originally, which was reflect or respond, reflect, and rethink. But it kind of, you know, we standardized now internally on that. And it's adapt. And we'll, we'll talk about the last phase, which is accelerate. But I think mean, in the second phase, this is the, you did what you did to get everybody up and running. But you probably cut corners and you did that because you had to, because it was a choice of no business or um, you know, some procedures being relaxed. And I think a lot of people did that. I think what's also interesting in when I look back at that phase as well is because a lot of people were not used to doing this. IT did miracles. And then in the early phases, a lot of CIOs that I spoke to were very, very complimentary of their uh, IT department and there was this afterglow of the IT department doing a lot of good stuff, but very quickly, I think a lot of the IT department was like that's great we're not going to shun the, uh, the praise and you know there's this feel good factor but actually it's probably not sustainable yeah we sort of up you know we, we Put a lot of capacity on our VDI state, or we increased our VPN concentrators, or you know we relaxed some of the security. But yeah, that's not going to work because we didn't think this was going to be like this for ages. To, to Guru's point, but actually now it's it, we're going to see it's going to be with us for a while. So we kind of need to go back, like I said, to reflect or the adapt phase, and make sure things are working properly. And and think about it as well. Suddenly you've gone from you know two offices maybe to twenty-five thousand, depending on the size of you, or maybe even more than that. And a lot of our tool sets and everything that we've been using from, especially from a EUC's perspective, they're very good at working in the office where there's, you know, known factors and there's a lot of consistency and you can monitor people quite easily. Well, not monitor people, but the devices and the surrounding architectures and everything that goes into making sure that they can get their job done. Now, VDI is good, but to your point, VDI probably for some customers isn't everybody. So then there's this whole concept and. Of well what about all the people that have laptops that are at home that used to come in the office a lot but the minor minority of their time was at home and to guru's point maybe it was email catching up on the powerpoint looking at an excel spreadsheet or whatever it might be or the, the occasional access to their um commission check or maybe it's some batch processing thing that runs every month that they need to just quickly check in or approve on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Commission check and and banking? (laughs) (laughs) No, not that the two go naturally, bedfellows together. But but (laughs) my my point being is, yes, office productivity tools are great, but there's other apps out there, and some of them are occasional usage. And a lot of what we've done, we've designed for users to do that occasionally. Suddenly, they're doing that at scale constantly, 100% of the time, Right. And a lot of our tool sets and let's talk about physical desktops for a moment. VDI great and we'll get back onto that in a second because you need to think about how you update those. In the early weeks, we got everybody up and running and working. What happens when the next patch comes out? Or you need to do some hundred thousand people at home or with laptops or some device and you need to update some policy or something. Well, kind of traditional tool sets we've been using, and I'm gonna pick on them for a time because I've been talking to customers a lot of the time around modern management, kind of over the air, real time updates, visibility, etc. as opposed to PCLM that was, you know, all those good tools, because I come from semantic originally as well. Ghost of the past, he says. <laughs> <A little joke. laughs> so not I'm nice. very- Not last, not last. <laughs> <lost. laughs> not not lost, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did when I was at Bank of New York. I, I was the desktop guy rolling out desktops. So we're very good at doing, and that's great in the office and location, rolling out service pack was troublesome enough back then in an enterprise network on a LAN with all the uh, you know the bandwidth considerations we need there. But doing that at home, think about that for especially for physical, a lot of people are saying, I need to accelerate my mood to model management. There was no compelling event before. What I think's happened now is that COVID showing light on the fact that what you thought was a nice to have is actually an essential part of your business now. You need to architect for the fact that your location is no longer a constant. And then you need to think about all the other things that go with that. And one of the main one is, how do I keep my devices up to speed, secure, and there so that people can be productive at home? And the old tool sets that we use no longer work in the same way. Right? You know, If you have to keep getting in on a VPN in order to do an update, what happens if you can't get on the VPN? You, know, you need that kind of real time. And that's what we've been doing with surprisingly enough with workspace one uh, for a while now it's talking to customers about how they can manage their their windows their phones in a modern way that that's the thing that a lot of customers are looking at right now
3: so matthew and i um, held a round table event what we heard yesterday was in this new next world whatever that may manifest itself to be clearly it's going to be a hybrid of what was and what will be and for financial services organizations that's going to be a a challenge because of um, organizational controls of um, you know we've heard of organizations that have said to their employees you know, you can come back if you want to it's going to be an employee led world for the foreseeable future and that's going to change some of our clients business models as that progresses and matures including some of the the, the KPIs and the managements around that from a people perspective so how has the, the narrative from our clients changed? And how is it looking forward now about a people-centric, people-employee-led capability?
1: I think we are going through an interesting phase and I'm pretty sure that this is a boardroom-level discussion, Brian, what you mentioned across all industries, right? Um, going past whether it's technically possible and whether from a performance and security perspective, yeah, some more things needs to be still figured out, etc all other social aspects, uh, which is probably employee driven as well. For example, in places like Japan and Hong Kong, uh, if everybody, both husband and wife and kids, they are all forced to work from home, it's, own, it, it's a challenge. Um, it, it's a definite challenge. Uh, they may have the necessary bandwidth in Japan and Hong Kong being modern economies and they may have 4G, etc. But all those social aspects of everybody working from home. Uh, some challenges around that which needs to be figured out. The, if at all, there is only positive things, and I'm kind of biting my tongue, even saying positive things out of this COVID. The positive thing is um, um, if I run a company and I'm looking for expertise, and once I say that the expertise need not come to office, that means uh, I can reach out to anybody. The expertise can be anywhere. So if there are people, uh, even homemakers mothers etc for whatever reason they decided not to go to office and we can tap that uh, Talent uh, to work from wherever they are right so that's the, so that's the other spin to it and now uh, Again, e- even in the case of education So my son studies in UK he came here uh, to Singapore in the month of March and for the last few months Yes, he has been doing online learning. Yes, it's difficult but now people are questioning okay if the online learning is available do we really need to send all these kids, spend so much of money, etc., from all the way across the globe uh, in, in these colleges? So, yeah, it, it is really raising all these good questions. Uh, yes, it will be employee-driven, but at the same time, there is uh, absolutely a boardroom discussion as we speak.
0: I think it's really interesting. In You know, as we're talking about new normal, next normal, um, it's, it's thought a lot that that's to do with the workplace. But as you just said, you know, education as well. Um, and and you know and and every aspect of life. So I I, I think that's really great point that you brought up there, Guru. And so-, so Matthew,
2: just literally before things kicked off, I was at an analyst roundtable and we were talking about the culture of management and kind of how we've employed people. And if you think about it, and, and I saw this on the BBC News actually, they call it presenteeism. I'm not sure if you come across that phrase, and <laughs> I hadn't before, but. Yeah. If you go back all the way to the Industrial Revolution, the concept of paying people for time has been pretty much how we've uh, employed people. Not just now that you can ask for different people because no longer need to physically come to an office. You pay people for time and traditionally some people wouldn't be able to be employed because they couldn't do five days a week. But then the concept then is managers used to look after people to make sure they were in the office. And there's this whole culture of if you're in the office, you're working how do you make sure and in the early days of covid as well and i'm not going to call out who it was for obvious reasons but i definitely had a surge in interest about look you can manage devices but how do i know if my people are working at home i said what do you mean by that well they used to be in the office and i could see them so i know they're working which i i would potentially argue against right but and it comes down to productivity because i think the cultural aspect of what a manager's role is in life or for an organization one of them was to make sure people were coming into the office so I think one of the key things going forward would be people needed to think about outcome based. Right? You pay people for what they deliver. The interesting thing there is how do you measure that, right? Because time's easy to measure. And I mean that's one of the biggest things I've seen is that you can trust people. People before they didn't trust people working from home. There was definitely that element. And people realise now that you can work from home and actually in some regards you're more productive. So that conversation has slowly dissipated, but I think it's led to more about, okay, well let's why do I need to have HR contracts based on time in the office? Do I need to have think about home contracts? W- what does a contract now mean? Uh, there's definitely some elements where I'm speaking to businesses around how redefining about how you employ and incentivise and ultimately pay people for what they do. Sorry, there's an aspect to that you know, whole employment piece that we need to think about, which isn't just technology-based now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely going to change the future workforce as well as as well as what we're doing today.
3: Sorry, Matthew, I think. I think a lot of organisations, well, I suspect all organisations at the consequences of that, right? Um, and the, there are some geographical, cultural differences around the world as, as, you, as you traverse it. But I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges that organisations face. It's, as, you know, as Spencer quite rightly said, it's, it's, we, the technology is now proven, we can make the technology work. Um, and, and the business has to now mature into a very different type of business model and, and really enlightening to talk about, you know, the history of the way that people were rewarded and it's absolutely correct. So um, for me personally, that, that, that has made me sit back in my chair, uh, my creaky chair and think.
1: No, absolutely. In fact, uh, just to add to that, right, for uh, reversely what Spencer mentioned, for a manager to think that employees productive so long as in the office now they also start thinking that uh, yeah they can leverage their uh, employee 24 by 7 or 24 by 5 because they are in their home they are not going anywhere else um etc so uh, in in many companies uh, now they have uh, uh, training modules for managers you know what don't expect them to work all the time because they are there at home and uh, the psychological aspects of um, mm-hmm managing the relationship between a manager and an employee who are so used to seeing
0: somebody in person, but now everybody's remote. So Spencer, go on then phase three.
2: Yeah. See, um, okay. So you, you hopefully you've, uh, reflected and just like you guys, you, you're thinking right now, which is, I think is what a lot of organizations are doing. And I think there's a parallel phase. So even though it feels like they're, you know, sequential, I don't think anybody is not taking the opportunity to go, Okay, well, if we had a blank piece of paper and we could do this from scratch, now is the opportunity, right? Everything that's happened, we've done what we've done, but it's never going to stay the same and let's learn the lessons and what do we need to do going forward? And I, I keep speaking to a lot of customers at the moment about what is the role of the office in the future, right? What is the role of the person and how we incentivize them like we just touched on? But what about security, right? Because a lot of what I saw, and what about apps, a lot of what I saw in those early phases, we can talk about VDI and you know distribution and, or, and PCs and how we keep them up to date, but ultimately people log onto a machine or some description and they access an app which accesses data, right? It's kind of fundamental, I would say. Unless you're maybe in some other systems that are doing stuff in the background, but ultimately in this whole thing that we see, and is people are accessing apps. A lot of those apps have been architected in a, uh, an age to my point, where you needed to come into the office. And a lot of those things, therefore, the security model was followed. I, I kind of show this slide about the history of it's a really quick history, by the way, but it talks about how people were in an office and we built boundaries around an office, and some people took stuff home sometimes. And in the early days of laptops, I, I used to joke that they spent more time in the dock in the office and what they did in someone's bag (laughs) but it was a status symbol and that was a bit of a kind of oh I can go home but I don't really want to but because I can and there was a hierarchical thing as well it was almost like a badge of honor in some regards so we've kind of organically grown up about from the office because that's where we started doing computing most of the time and we've grown out and then suddenly the constant thing in all of that was the office. And we sort of plastered over the fact with things like vpns but i think i said this last time but i'll say it again i call vpns virtually pointless now right that's what it stands for <laughs> and and the reason for that is why are we tunneling back into a data center so in this new phase i think there's a, there's a couple of things that we think we should be doing and, it, and i also called it and vmware calls it the accelerate phase where we think about app modernization you know, if we had apps that were modern and what i mean by that is how they will authenticate to them where they could sit, they're in the, of the underlying architecture you know, that would relinquish the, the, how can I put it, the shackles of how you then can access them and a lot of what we saw was well it's a Windows app it was designed in 1998 or something and it only can be accessed via this and that was the problem why VDI was great but it's not maybe the ultimate answer maybe modernizing the app is but I think definitely now we are speaking to customers about let's look at your app architecture let's look at the app itself and how ultimately you get that app into the hands of the person that needs to access it because those two are inextricably linked. And every time I'm, I'm speaking to a customer around digital workspace strategy, I'm always talking to them about how apps play a massive part, because ultimately, if it's an old school app, probably isn't going to work on an iOS device, is it? So, and then off the back of that, of course, is security. The whole point of a trust model, said I'd talk about zero trust, is we used to trust the office. We used to trust you as a full-time employee in the office with a trusted device. There's a lot of trust there, right? In this new world, the employee base may not be full-time employees coming to a location every day of their life on a company-owned device. So you just removed three massive trust elements that security love. So you need a different way of doing it. And when we talk to customers about zero trust, it's, well, you can't trust a person, so you need to make sure the person is who they are, and there's lots of technologies to do that. And That means you can deal with contractors, you can deal with guests full-time equally then well, what are they accessing from and you can do some you know checks there and the whole point here is you build up the trust level but at no point do you just say well you're in the office so i trust you and that's kind of where we've been and that's a big kind of security architectural change but there's a lot of customers that are accelerating what they're doing in that regard because they were already looking at it before and clearly with what's going on the old architectures don't work right so um, they're, they're the big ones big ones that i see in this new phase is app modernization and then hand in hand is that architecting of the uh, um, the security model. But at the same time, what's the role of the office? And I'm also having conversations with people. A lot of banks actually about smart parking systems linked to um, meeting rooms. Because if the role of the office was you sat down and did stuff, well, you're maybe going to coming in there for meetings, maybe, or showcasing to clients, maybe, or maybe it's a communal place. Um, what do you do there? So what's the role of the office? And, and i guess at the same time if you were in the office you used to go to a um, probably a pegboard that had community events on there and it probably says vmware social cricket match on i don't know four o'clock on june or whatever it might be how do you do that when everybody's at home and you had a tannoy as well didn't you oh there's a fire alarm matthew so um what, what's going on there you know you could address the whole company within a degree right because not everybody's in the same office but you could normally do a, a tannoy announcement to everybody How do you do a company organization announcement or news announcement when everybody's distributed over the world? So there's little things like that that we think, well, office was kind of also communications and you need to think about comms now and that's different. Anyway, so rethinking phase or the accelerate phase, security, apps, but what is that new workplace and what is the role of the building and the physical premise? And then how we all interact, back to Guru's point around cultural, Office was a very communal place, wasn't it? And trying to recreate that, I think, is going to be important for customers because of their identity as well.
1: I mean, just just and- want to add to that, uh, I mean, through a number of the CIO forums here in the region, as well in APJ, uh, they are definitely taking this as uh, an, a- an accelerated path for digital transformation. Um, so they de- don't want the pendulum to go back. Previously, whatever used to take many months of discussion, technology, user acceptance test and whatnot. Now they've, uh, at least they say that uh, they figured out a mechanism to do it uh, in, in, say, two weeks, if not if not a few days and whatnot. So there are discussions around, you know, why can't we do this, make this as a BAU model, right? Uh, going back to what uh, Spencer mentioned, application modernization. In my opinion, that's actually driven or even maybe demanded by the customers and employees. right? Um, from an FSI perspective, to acquire a customer, if you want to become a bank uh, banking client, there are some documents people use to sign and uh, uh, etc. Now, people are going to demand, you know what? Deliver anything and everything on my mobile device. I don't want to kind of go to a bank branch or whatever the case may be. And whoever can provide that service. Uh, similarly um, like in a a large country like like India for example even KYC related matters right people used to say okay uh, know your customer every year uh, in this particular month or whatever the case may be you need to resupply all your documents and identity cards and this and that and whatnot but even that now people are rolling out those type of applications on their mobile device so rolling out applications such as video KYC so you just you don't even have to go to bank, you don't even have to go to uh, submit any documents, but just get on a video call and uh, get yourself authenticated just to ensure uh, that you are the person who you are, um, etc. Similarly, for uh, on the banking transaction perspective, uh, uh, check transaction which has been there for many decades, many banks have been trying to get away from it, uh, but they have this long tail because of customer requirements Now they are trying to push it, right? Um, uh, getting rid of that. And similarly, if it's a telegraphic transfer over a particular amount, uh, people would say, no, you need to come to the branch so that we need to uh, do an authenticate or whatever they call it. Uh, But these days, again, it's demanded to do uh, for different types of transactions, regardless of what value. Uh, If people want to raise the level of authentication, that's fine, but so long as they can uh, do it on a mobile device, right, um, which goes back to this application transformation. So if your applications are behaving exactly the same way and uh, uh, you can only identify and authenticate in a, in, a, in a single way depending on a person, but now yeah, you have different vectors you no know, person and the device and the location and whether it's dual factor, three factor, whatever additional things that you would like to add, that's that's okay. But don't force the person physically to be in a particular place to do any transaction.
0: Yeah, you got me thinking there, Guru. The approach that you just mentioned, you know, I think there's a there's been a lot of a lot of the the big banks have been slow to adopt some of these these newer capabilities. And, you know, and that that may be because of perceived regulation or processes put in to prevent a recurrence of an issue that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago, whatever whatever it might have been. And so, so you know, if let's say you want to open a business account with a mainstream bank, some of them require you to to have an appointment. Oh, and by the way, the next appointment's three weeks away. Whereas the FinTech and Challenger banks, you can do it all online with, with, with their app and you get a decision pretty much the same day if not within the same hour or two and and as i said but the i think historically the big banks have said no you can't do it that way you need a wet signature you need to see the person you need to go through all of this stuff whereas a fintech approach um, it's just challenged that from the start and said no no you don't need to do it that way we can either we've got a different risk appetite or we're prepared to to do it a different way and hold the hold the data in a different way through that you know video clips or whatever else so so I think I think this is very much forcing new business models different business models through necessity rather than necessarily innovation or desire or whatever you know people aren't going to branches we need to still find a way that we can attract new customers and get new get new products sold so I, I think yeah. it's a great way of thinking about it.
1: Uh, one of the modern country here in APJ uh, regulator, uh, they're still not comfortable. Uh, employee with high administrative rights in a bank, working from home. So that was the case till last year. And now, guess what? Uh, even the regulator themselves, they need to learn to say they can't say no anymore. Uh, but they can only say that tell to the bank that they need to conduct and operate their deliver the services to the customer. And uh, have employees working from home, even with high administrative rights, etc. But what level of controls you want to apply? This goes back to what Spencer mentioned, right? There are other ways to ensure apply different levels of controls, including zero trust, and add another vector, add another um, layer of authentication if necessary, but still uh, perform the work. That's one one example. A second example in India. Um, to conduct business process uh, BPO type of services, some of you may know, what they call a software export processing zones. So you can't do those type of work from home, you have to go to a physical premises, whether it's TCS, HCL, if you go to all these locations in Chennai and Mumbai, they will have 10,000 users, 20,000 user premises, people come to that site. From a regulatory perspective if you are providing business process outsourcing call center type of services you have to go physically there to conduct, to provide that service again so that that particular regulatory requirement is absolutely challenged for the last many months because yeah you have to enable um, the services can be provided anywhere so i think uh, as we discussed earlier uh, tying physical location to a service to be provided is going to get challenged and significantly
3: matthew guru spencer you know that, that that raises an interesting question for me with with my old uh, world hat on i guess and the experience i've got of of building and supporting you know large trading centers uh, trading floors and, and offshore contact centers and business operation centers and i think it's going to revert back to, you know, how do organizations elect to, to manage that in a, in a hybrid model?
1: So my, my view is this, right? I think it will bring the regulators and the banks to get to, together to rethink, okay, what's the risk we are trying to protect against, and uh, how we can eliminate physical location or physical device that they have to conduct it in a physical location in a trade floor, or they must conduct from this physical device a dealing board how we can remove it, uh, but still have the necessary controls in some other forms. Um, So whether, uh, you know, again, as Spencer mentioned before, on one hand, yeah, we're not, that means that we are, there is nothing called as perimeter anymore, that they can work from anywhere, any device and all that, but at the same time to apply controls, what are the different vectors we want to apply, a person, a device, a location, or maybe some other things, and different vectors of authentication. And uh, uh, maybe from an application perspective, also to track their activities, et cetera. If we have the ability to do all that, are we okay? To uh, h- how well is going to mitigate the actual risk? What regulators are worried about? So that so that will be some interesting discussions for sure. And uh, I mean, wearing the architectural hat, and uh, I mean, from a VMware perspective, I'm sure that we will uh, have those conversations. Uh, bringing number of solutions together, whether it's from a security perspective or applications perspective or data perspective and uh, user identification and authentication or entitlement perspective. Spencer, I'm sure this is one of your favorite topic.
2: It's no surprise Guru that I've seen a massive increase in um, customers in banking come to me around remote trader floor type use cases and um, biometric key type authentication and making sure somebody is who they are to your point it used to be quite easy to say well you're outside a certain country therefore you can't do a trade as an example but making sure somebody is who they are and where they are as well and that throws up some interesting challenges um, of which you know are um, well we're able to overcome them but to your point it's whether the regulators want to uh, accept that as a you know if I can audit trail somebody completely I can put my finger on directly when it was done and who it was done by and how and what device etc. And I can prove that and is that enough now and to your point I think there needs to be a, a coming together of these these two different operations to, to make sure that we can um, put some things in place that are you know, fit for the modern world shall we say and what's going to be going on and it is just that changing the regulations to make sure that then's prohibitive but at the same time we don't introduce new risk but I don't think technology is the issue we always get around that it's um it's the other slower stuff that takes a while
3: yeah I I think that's that's very evident I think that's what we've seen over the past few months across every industry is the ability for organizations to to do things in a far faster fashion because there's a common goal it's like if you've worked in technology everyone had a common goal when you had an outage because you knew what you was all meant to do was get that service back from recover that service and get it back right and, and, and this is very much an and you know what we've been through is a very much super scaled version of that within every organization across every industry and and it's proven to people that you can get stuff done i suspect it's exposed to a lot of people how their organizations have institutionalized things that they never knew they did in a bad way and they've, and they've cut through some of that um, but i absolutely think that the organisation, you know, lots of organisations now will have learnt, to, my favourite phrase is to get out of their own way. Um, and I think that's going to be the exciting thing um, for, the, for the next few months as as organisations don't go back to that old mentality, don't put process after process, refine that process. Their internal processes of how they make decisions, as an example, and I think that's going to be an exciting place to be.
2: So there's another dynamic I think we're going to see more and more as we go through this, that you know it's a bit of an unknown we we don't know how to look after people at home who's checking in and and another bit there as well people coming out of university that wanted to get into you know go up to London as an example because there's a whole vibrant community around there after work maybe you went and you know hang out with your friends and your colleagues and that whole social aspect and maybe you bought a flat a very small one because you thought you was going to be in the office most of the time and enjoying life as a 21-year-old or something and suddenly you've been cooped up at home what about your entire working career That will, maybe you and I'll will remember some of the good times in the early days around it wasn't just the work itself it was all the uh, the communal stuff so there's a whole people element I think that we're gonna probably in years to come maybe look back on and go yeah that's yeah we didn't think about that at the time so sorry just throwing it out there it's just it's not just about the the tech stuff it's it's a different dynamic about making sure the workforce is okay as we go forward.
1: And this is fascinating topic, right? All, the, all these things. In fact, um, so uh, I mean, in my opinion, that uh, both from a manager perspective and employee perspective, how we're going to manage productivity, which we discussed before, and then who would have thought that uh, uh, each and every government across the globe that they want to know for every minute where you are and who you have interacted with, etc. Um, yes, health is a reason, but now productivity slash privacy, right? Um, and uh, I know we're going to run out of this time, but privacy itself will be will probably be another topic for the for the other pro- podcast. As we are coming back from this respond, adapt and maybe even accelerate phase. That's another major topic between regulators and everybody else to come together. On one hand, yeah, we don't want to bar- bind people to a physical location. But on the, on the other hand, from a manager and the company perspective, we want to ensure that the productivity is there and paid for whatever output uh, and how we are going to manage uh, privacy. Right? Um, you really want to know where they are almost every time of the day, uh, etc. Uh,
0: no, absolutely. And, and did you just invite yourself back?
1: <laughs> no, not really, but that, 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 that's probably for some risk and control and compliance experts.
0: Right? No, no, I heard you wanted to be here. Um, uh, okay, super. Look, so I, I think in the interests of time, we we could just keep talking about this forever, and and I, you know, it does feel like um, there's plenty to talk about in a future in a future podcast. Um, in the meantime, uh, Spencer Guru, thank you for your thank you for your participation today. Um, if you've got any last thoughts be great to hear them spencer
2: well well thanks for having us on number one and thanks for the uh, the great conversation i think my my kind of closing thoughts would be look we're all learning as we go through this and to your point the technology i think can fix this some things we won't know until the fullness of time but the other key thing is that pretty much every organization is going through this so it's um there's a lot of joint you know information and best practice that is being shared as we speak and um yeah I think we uh, we can get through this all together would be my kind of closing thoughts, Matthew. But thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thank you, Matthew. Uh, thanks for having us here. And uh, it, it, it's really good to share this perspective globally across many industries, et cetera. Um, as we have gone through this session, um, while we are still almost there, but still figuring out the latest uh, uh, things from a technology perspective, how we can satisfy these requirements, uh, it's around the process and people um, I'm sure collectively we all will come together and uh, uh, be part of how we're going to redefine the workforce going forward. Thank you,
3: Spencer Guru. I'm sure many people listening to the podcast will have a light bulb moment. I certainly did this morning, um, and it's and it's really brought home and reinforced some of the other conversations that we're having um, across some of our roundtables and our industry conversations. So, so. As I said, thank you very much indeed for uh, your, your time and input today. Um, and for me, Matthew, I think this really amplifies the other conversations that we've had recently where it, the people-led, the people-centricity the, the, the people of the organisations that we're working with has, has probably never been more evident or more dominant, and I think that's going to stay with us uh, for a while, so when we talk about people, process, technology, culture, operating models, uh, for me it's P2, right, it's people, people, process, technology, um, we, that's where the focus will be, so um, a really, really good call and, and thank you very much for uh, for attending today.
0: If we can help you in any way please talk with your VMware account team. Alternatively, you can connect with us through LinkedIn. Just search for Brian Hayes or Matthew O'Neill at VMware. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Matthew O'Neill, And you can find our show notes at don'tbreakthebankpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you can join us again next time. Please do take care of yourself.